Hello and welcome to Perspectives on Purpose, a new business podcast with me, Tanya Beckett and Philip Ullman, social business entrepreneur and former chairman and chief energizer of the recruitment giant Corden Group. There can be little doubt that the world post-COVID will change, but will it be for the better? This programme will tackle the idea of covenant, that humanity has a binding relationship to itself and its obligations to better society. For the less familiar, Philip has been an outspoken campaigner for change across the business community, noting its endless focus on profit is damaging people and the planet. In his view, purpose must now permeate business and society more so than at any other time in history. It's the cure to fix capitalism's broken model and perhaps the only way to save the business leader's license to operate in a less trusting age. This programme will explore how purpose could be the new sun in a fresh Copernican revolution, shaping decisions across government and society. But as a key metric, can purpose provide a more complete society, allowing business to heal, not hurt communities, generating prosperity for all. I caught up with Philip on a rainy day in July and we had a very animated discussion. Tell me about how you got into the family business. I trained at KPMG, became a, a chartered accountant, hated every minute of the actual auditing, though loved the training. The training was very, very good for me. Then had about three or four jobs, kept on getting sacked for speaking my mind. My father sa- said, um, look, we've got this company, Secure Plan, which is being run by a couple of professionals. But at that point, it happened that one worker was paid, I think, £35,000 for a week of security gardening services. So my father began to realize that they were not quite as good as he thought. And he put me in, um, and the rest is history. Fortunately, that was in 1996. Turnover 12 million, employing no profit, employing, um, I don't know, maybe a thousand security officers to where we are now, turning over nigh on a billion. Fortunately, making north of £20 million of profit and placing 125,000 people per year. What was key to growing the company in that way? What was the secret? Um, we bought lots of companies um, and then we continued to buy um, companies in different sectors and, and, and um, integrate them. So we, we grew by acquisition, but also organically. So of that, I think, turnover-wise, we probably bought about £300 million of turnover. The rest of it was organic growth. But obviously you have a knack for taking a company and improving it, quite simply. That's what you did in your family firm, and that's what you did during those years. What I do is ask silly questions and, and, and get silly answers, but, but work out how things can change. And I, I never say, I never sit in my ways. Even if I've made a mistake, I can turn the sixpence. Um, and that's what I have to do. Um, no blame. And so fortunately, I've never been tamed. Um, and that's why I can do what I can do, because no one's ever stopped me taking risks. I've always taken risks. And that's why um, I'm fortunate that, that, that um, I can challenge some big questions because I, as, as time progresses, you get b- uh, bigger and you have more influence and you start to challenge the more fundamentals. And, and I'm not scared of challenging anything. Give me an idea of the sort of questions that you were asking at Cordant as it was growing. So as time progressed, initially it was about profit. So it was, uh, 
uh, I was a traditional capitalist. I just wanted to make more money to, um, to look after the family. Uh, I was never greedy for money itself. Funny enough, I was ambitious to, to have uh, succeeded, but money never did it for me, though I did want to show that I could build a, a business making lots of, of profit. I had an epiphany about four years ago, um, and that revolves around uh, conversations about my son-in-law. My daughter got married uh, about four or five years ago, and we were sitting around a table with his parents, Daniel's parents, debating what Daniel should be doing for a living. Again, that was wrong, but that's what we do. Um, and we still do that in our circles as it happened. And uh, his mum said he's got to become a lawyer. He, he, she'd actually made him go to uni to do uh, law at UCL. He hated every minute of it because he's a natural educator, inspirer. And he, his mum said he's got to, he's got to uh, become a lawyer. He's got to earn a living. And his dad said, no, he loves education. He should do what, what would change the world. Uh, and I, at the time, went with his mum and said to my wife, uh, and I said, no, he's got, to, he's got to do the responsible thing. But then over the period of the next few months, I recognised that he was completely right and I was wrong. And it, life is about purpose, it's about changing lives. And, and we all get caught in this concept of profit and growth and we're wrong. Um, and, and that caused me to completely change my outlook and business, complete U-turn. And I realised that business is about purpose, uh, people and planet. And, and the journey changed, changed direction. But it had been, in a way, in your family business, because, as you said, your father looked after the workers. And at Cordant, what was your attitude towards the people who worked there? Yeah, so you're right. We, start, we were always philanthropic. So always, uh, I started with philanthropy in my blood. Um, so we always gave huge amounts of money to charity. My dad always did work in the community. My mum spent a whole uh, life looking after people in old age homes. And I grew up in that environment. Um, but, but still capitalist, interesting, even though very compassionate and very caring, um, but you, it was still business-like, and, and what was deemed successful was to make 10 million and give 2 million to charity, and we always did that. We give huge amounts of charity, we saved lots of lives over that period, but I recognised that charity wasn't the answer. That was the epiphany. My parents didn't understand it. So what you're saying is that purpose needed to be at the very centre, not, not peripheral, not philanthropy, but at the very centre of how a business was built. Correct. I, I worked that out over a period, uh, but correct. And I started, my starting point was philanthropic model. That's, that was my beginning 24 years ago. But then I recognised that, that it's, it, it, it's effectively a, a Copernican revolution. You, you, you're right. It has to put purpose at the centre, and that's the big mistake that we make. We put profits and shareholder value at the centre, but it is a Copernican revolution. You have to put purpose in the centre. Difficult, really, to redirect or recreate the DNA of a company which is already in existence. That's a challenge, isn't it? You're spot on. And, and you've now got to where I've got to in the last couple of weeks. I don't believe that you can change the DNA of an organisation spacing 125,000 people. I get, by the, that's this week's uh, revelation, but I don't think I can. So I've recognised that I'm not going to do it. So what we've decided now is effectively to, to channel the cash that's generated by this organisation into a completely new venture, which will start from the ground based on purpose. Because it's Copernican and thousands of thousands of people, thousands of relationships, which are all transactional, cannot overnight become relational. It can't happen.
So you had a moment about four years ago where you started to think very differently about how a, sh how a company should be structured in terms of its uh, its purpose and, and what it was about. And it, I think it's fair to say, historically, people thought much more about shareholders and now they think in terms of stakeholders. And, and in, but, but also a realisation that it's very difficult to change an existing company into something else and, and repurpose it. And, uh, but that's where Covenant came from. So tell me about Covenant. Yes, so what I recognised, because um, we tried to do it, is we asked consultants to work with people at every level to work out what can we change. Um, and we came up with a number of ideas. The big thing was uh, a good job. And this is a job that, that pays a living wage, that pays you on time, that means you don't need to go to a payday lender, which means that it's meaningful work, which is not robotic. And when you start looking at it, I realise I can't deliver this. I just can't, and nobody can as a single organisation, because when you start peeling back the layers of the onion, you start to see there's so many different pain points. Um, you start saying, well, if, if you're paying workers uh, less than a living wage, well, the whole industry needs to start paying a living wage. If you're trying to avoid payday lenders, you've got to look at the whole payment terms. And fundamentally, within UK industry, people pay late. So there's some endemic problems, which means that you can't, actually deliver good jobs as a single company. And we tried. We did do good stuff. So we, we started work on modern slavery and we made an impact there. And we did uncover some gang masters. In your company? Work, supplying workers, correct. So we actually found workers were being provided by gang masters. Now, we, we would apply, apply controls. For example, we look at the same people being paid in the same bank account. So we actually started to, to uncover uh, symptoms of, of gang masters. But then you go to the state and you say to the state, please, can you help us? Because you've got information which will enable us to see where the same person is, is, is actually living in the same house. Uh, share this information with us and we'll eliminate more gang masters. Doesn't happen because of the system. We, you try to get people to bind together, which is where Covenant comes in. We are silo-based. Each company is silo-based. Companies are silos with competitors. Uh, they're, they're silos with suppliers and they're silos with the state. And that's where Covenant comes in. Covenant is about binding everyone together in very simple terms. It's about a different type of relationship where everybody's working together for the common good. In a simple term, that's what Covenant is about. And that's the only way you're going to solve these purpose-led challenges, no other way. Uh, but the state has to... Um, become more entrepreneurial. And, and that's what excites me about the time that we're at. We've got a prime minister who is exciting and who's looking at new ways of working and we're looking at new kinds of relationships. But it, what COVID is showing me is there's a, a, a time has come for a new relationship between all parties, which is binding everyone together. So in a way, you started with the solution and you've said, look, private the private part of the economy needs to function with the public part of the economy. And it doesn't very well. There's, there's not much communication there. But let's go back to the beginning and say, having seen one solution, what are the problems? How do you see the top problems right now in the society in which we live that could be solved with this type of partnership? Yeah, the problem is, is business is, is mechanical. People are robots. Um, a lot of people, because of the way organisations are structured, 
are, are not making choices. They go to work. We, we call this work-life balance. Uh, they live their, their, their life in the evening after work because they don't love their work. The conversation I have with Dan, you've got to love your work, but you're not going to love it if you're not making any decisions. And the trouble is the structure that we have, all decisions are making, made at the top, uh, whether it's an estate or it's in big business. Um, the, the, the work at the, at the shop floor is not a human being. And now we need to rehumanize these jobs. We need to have jobs which are people jobs, which require relationships, which require human feeling and understanding. And that's what we should be doing. We need to revisit the economy, revisit the jobs and say, what, what are the jobs of the future? The digital economy surely is, is supportive of what you're describing because many things can be done by artificial intelligence. But the way that we think in human terms cannot easily be replaced. You're spot on. The answer is not pure technology. You've nailed it. It's a com combination of um, technology and people. The best way of, of explaining is, is chess. So chess initially, uh, the grandmasters beat the computers. Eventually, the computers beat the grandmasters. Um, did it stop chess competition? No. But what you now have is, is a computer with a person playing a computer with a person. The person that wins is the person that can relate to the data in the best way. And that's, that, those will be the winners of the future, those that can actually combine understanding of data and systems and injecting the human bit, which is, which is critical. We're not robots. But we don't need to do the robot jobs anymore. Those can be automated. So do you, that's, that's your main concern, that people go to work and are not excited by it, or is there more? But it's worse than that. The whole system, the, the, uh, people are not treated as human beings, and this, the education system is a production line on the whole. Um, they, they, the kids develop exponentially until the age of five when they're at home, and then they go to, to school and they start to plateau straight away, and there's a reason, because they're suddenly told what the answer is. They ask the teacher a question and, and they know that the answer they've got to give is a teacher, the one that teacher wants. So immediately, fortunately, I never had that because um, I, I, I always asked questions and, 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 and um, was never constrained. But most people, unfortunately, are constrained, which means that, that you, you robotize them. So we have to look at the education system and start opening it up, start developing people. But... Coming back to your idea of the production line and, and, and saying that that's what operates in, in education and elsewhere, that it's too robotized. Is that because people have focused so much on productivity and maybe productivity, as we have measured it, is not the right measure anymore? It's become almost a religion. Profit. GDP and profit are a religion. We blindly follow them. We stop asking questions. GDP doesn't work, nor does profit. And we all know that. I'm an accountant. I know that profit doesn't work. But we say what gets measured gets done, which is, there's an element of truth there, but we don't change the measures. So what we need is a new set of measures which reflect humans, which reflect groups of humans, society, communities, which reflect the environment and which reflect the distribution of wealth amongst people. And then that will unlock a completely new, both, by the way, for the state and for, for business. So I think we have to bin GDP and look at a, a, a distributive measure of how... Right, so we'll interrupt you right there. What sort of measures would you look at? So to me, I, I, the work of um, economics and mutuality, to me, is, is a good starting point. They've, uh, this is a team of, of academics at Oxford working with Mars Catalyst, 
top quality professionals, really innovative and creative, who, who have done the work. And I saw it. I love the answer what they've come up with. So they talk about four sets of measures, human. I don't like the word capital because capital is but human measures that relate to how happy a person is, how meaningful, how energized, how how many decisions they're making, how how real and living they 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 feel, how well society is working. That means how how cohesive is it? How trusting is it? How how diverse is it? The environment. How how well are we protecting the planet that we live in? We, if we're not measuring the damage to the planet, we're not going to protect it. And unfortunately, the planet hasn't got a voice. We need to give the planet a voice. And the final set of measures: so it's human, social, environment, and then distribution. But we do need to look at cash. Profit, I think, is dead because profit is too complicated. But cash is important. But it's the way it's distributed because it gets caught in silos at the moment. So we have huge wealth, which is, to me, potential change, which can't actually do anything. And, 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 and we have people that need money and, and projects that need money. They don't get the money. So we need to unlock that. And it's not going to get unlocked as long as we continue to measure GDP and profit. And that's the religion. And we need a new set of measures that reflect everybody. How difficult would it be to, to make that type of adjustment? You're talking about a situation, presumably, where workers are paid more, they're given more responsibility as well, and that profit is not really put at the centre of, of what a company does. I, I think a lot of companies have started to move away from it, but the markets certainly like to see a profit, don't they, every quarter? Well, the system will not lend itself until we change the basic rules. So Section 172 of the Companies Act has to change. The purpose of a company can't be for the shareholders. It's got to be, uh, Connie Mayer talks about purpose. We, we need to focus the company around a purpose. A company is a purpose. It's not a cash-generating engine. It is a purpose. It's, and we need to focus on purpose. And we need to form new organisations, which are purpose organisations. I think it will happen quickly because the technology is such that things happen very quickly nowadays. Um, and so, to me, as I've worked out myself, you're going to have to start again in many cases because of the... DNA, as you put it, not being right. But it will happen quickly because technology allows um, things to build very, very quickly in an agile way. So this, uh, as long as you've got the covenant, as long as the state is working alongside the private sector, it will happen amazingly quickly. And, and the, the people, millennials, will love it. You know, the thought of not having to wait 20, 30 years to become a CEO, but actually to be part of a self-managing team, which is autonomous, which actually allows a new joiner to actually make a decision within a few weeks, um, supported by advisors, I think would excite people. So I think it will just, it will grow exponentially. We are now in a very specific situation in not just the UK, but obviously right around the world, where people, arguably, there's been so much disruption because of the pandemic that there is an opportunity to change the way we do things. How can we seize upon that opportunity? Well, first of all, there's the, the debt position. Um, debt is, is, has proliferated uh, at the cost of inequality. There's no question because the debt has been focused on, on asset owners, you've got difficulties in buying houses. So young people, I was fortunate when I started, it was easy to, to, to take on a mortgage and buy a house. Kids in London can't, and that's crazy, and that's because of debt. So until we deflate this asset bubble that we've got, we're not going to deal with inequality issues. So there's a need for um, a massive deflation. Now, once you recognise a jubilee-type um, uh, relief of debt, 
you then ask yourself, how are we going to do it? And if the state is innovative and creative, it will convert that debt into equity. What it will say, into equity for society. So what it will say is, we've got all these COVID loans, bounce back loans, whatever they're called, and they're not going to get repaid. I think there's a recognition a lot of it is going to go bad. But forget about writing it off. Use it to generate a behavioural change by giving society a stake in all the key businesses. And that immediately can change things very quickly because the behaviour will change. But effectively, we need to look at people and um, planet. And the planet needs a stake, and so do people. And, and the, we need to recognise that, that, that everyone needs a voice. Is there a danger, though, in having a larger state? No, not if it's covenantal. If, if it's mechanical, if it's, it remains with the power at the top, then you dehumanise the roles. And therefore, big state, and for that matter, big business, is dehumanising. It, it creates robotic jobs and it, and it creates people that are not leading meaningful lives and they don't actually live at work. But if we move to a covenantal model, which binds everybody together, which gets rid of the silos, no, you, you're actually distributing power to... So I'm not talking about only state ownership. I'm talking about a combination of... Private. So this is not the state deciding at the centre. This is a distributed form of governance structure, whereby decisions are distributed so that the leader changes his role or her role. The leader is no longer a decision maker. He's creating the environment for self-managing team, for people to, to become human, for, for the planet to, to be protected. And as long as that transition happens, you, no, you, you, you'll change people's lives. When you talk about the government having leverage to do this, having the power to do this, because it's the ultimate lender in the end to to many, many companies uh, because of the pandemic. What about what the customer wants? What about the competitive environment? Those are two very important factors, aren't they? Interesting. You talk about competitive. I, I was always very competitive. You're talking to a poacher turned gamekeeper. I always wanted to to do better, I want to be top of the class and everything. I just want to go to Cambridge. Um, I moved on. It's nonsense. The trouble with the competitive nature is about the self. If you are measuring yourself against somebody else, you want to beat that person. So you're not actually valuing yourself. You're, 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 you want to, 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 to make yourself big and somebody else small. It's got to be collaborative. So I have moved away from that. And to me, it's not about... Competition is about collaboration. The reason why we're not solving problems is because of competition. Because if I'm trying to find my own answer um, and someone else finds their own answer, it kills people. Very simply, it kills people. I'll give you a practical example um, with um, the electronic healthcare record. I came across this a few years ago. We need a single electronic healthcare record around the world to start sharing data about healthcare, to start finding solutions to people who are ill. But because of the competition, Nobody wants to share, everyone wants to have the, the master platform and, and nobody shares ideas, which means that, that you don't create a single language which everybody talks. And that means you kill people. We still want to do better, the best we can with what we've got. But it's about me measuring myself against what my own potential is. I want to solve the COVID, find a vaccine because I want to save lives, not because I want to do it uh, and he, someone else doesn't want to do it. It's got to be a collaborative ambition rather than a competition at the expense of others. So tell me about the model that you're setting up now for the company. How, how could that work and interact with firms? Um, so what I've got to do is, is I've committed to society to use the, 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 
the money that we've been blessed with as cordant for the sake of society. I thought it was be to change uh, cordant. It's not going to be. It's going to be channeled into a new vehicle that will create purpose-led organizations designed to, to resolve those meaningful challenges with the state. So we, we want to set up a, a, almost a VC purpose-led fund, which works with the state. So I want to use Morris and, and, and to Phil, go to the government, to go to the health service, say, look, what are the really big problems that we need to solve together? And how can we create an organization, a new organization, not an existing, because that's impossible to change. A new organization will put money from Corden in, will put the state can put money in, but this is to solve the purpose. It's not about making money. It's about profitable, uh, profitable solutions to the problems that people have been planning. It's got to be profitable, because otherwise it's not sustainable. But the purpose of profit is not for shareholder. The purpose of profit is to solve the purpose. So you still need to be profitable. Otherwise, um, or cash generating, I prefer to say. Um, so what I'm excited about now is I want to find opportunities in the state sector to work to, where we can form new alliances, where we can really do uh, solve those meaningful challenges. We then will map out the ecosystem as to what the underlying causes of those meaningful challenges are. For example, payday lending. Why is it happening? And then we see, okay, who needs to be involved in this coalition, form a coalition, fund it, change society. Is there a flaw in the argument in terms of the way human nature works? Do you think it, it fits with human nature, what you're describing? I think, yes. If, if Everybody wants to have control of part of their lives. The people that, that make uh, the evening, they make choices in the evening. We, we're human beings. We're not making choices. We're not living. If I'm just being told what to do, I, I'm, I'm effectively a slave. So the answer is... Um, no, it's everybody wants to, to be alive. They may have been crushed. There's not, there are many people, unfortunately, who've had the system beat them up and think they don't want to live, but they really do. Uh, and it's because we, we all have two aspects of our nature. We're both, um, we have our, ourself and we have this social being. We, we all have these two aspects of, our, of us and our, our characters. We need both. We're social animals. And, and what's happened is the self has been developed and the social being has been quashed for a long time, certainly for the last 50 years. Very interesting that you spent a long time talking about looking after each other. And then just at the end there, you're talking about personal responsibility. So you are not saying that individuals don't have a responsibility for themselves. No, on the contrary, um, I'm not talking about big states or big business. The change is, it, it's, it's a covenant. Covenant, the best example of covenant is, is, is a marriage. And, and a good marriage is where you have a husband and wife that, that retain the I. They, they retain their identity, but form a we as well. You need both the I and the we. And, and in, in the system since 1971, the we has been crushed. After the Second World War, there was a period of we uh, because they needed to be rebuilding. Um, that has been quashed over 50 years, and we now are focused on the I. Um, but the we is gone. We need to rebuild that we, but also retain the, the, the I. And if we can uh, give people personal responsibility in a governance structure, which gives them autonomy, but within a framework of we, uh, it changes, changes the world. And that was Philip Alden reflecting on a very different covenant future. That's all for now. Please join us next time.